0: We're going through the book of Romans in this series called A Great God, Amazing Salvation. One thing we're looking for in this series is clarity about our ultimate reality. There are so many distractions and lies out there that cloud us from the truth that it's easy to get lost. So we're digging into the book of Romans because in here the Apostle Paul clears out the fog and makes the truth of the gospel crystal clear. He says, The gospel is not some lame, weak, impotent message that he would be ashamed about. Rather, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and those who truly know it are permanently changed forever. Now, in the first four chapters that we've looked at, we've seen some of the great themes of the gospel, such as sin and grace and faith and so on. Now, for those of us who grew up in Christianity, There's always a danger that these words just become cliches, words that we talk about without them really grabbing or moving us anymore. Sometimes what we need is to look at it from a different angle, to cast a light into a different angle so that we see it in a fresh new way. You know, that's what photographers do. Photographers cast light at an angle to bring out the contrasts and the finer details that we don't normally see. The angle of the light can either bring out all the wrinkles on your face or it can hide all of it. And great photographers know how to cast a light from an angle to bring out the picture that they envision. Now, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is like an experienced photographer, and he's casting light onto our ultimate reality. He's trying to bring out the contrast between sin and grace in a way that we don't normally see it. And he's trying to give us a snapshot of the gospel to bring out the message that there's a grace greater than sin. So here's Paul in in Romans 5, 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul's trying to make a contrast here between Adam and Christ. In Adam, there's sin, there's death, there's condemnation, but in Christ, there's life, there's grace, there's justification. So he's trying to bring out a contrast here. And this contrast tells us three things that we can learn today. It tells us about the headship of Adam and Christ. It tells us about the supremacy of Christ. And lastly, about the people of Christ. So let's look at that. The headship, the supremacy, and the people of Christ. First of all, what is the headship of Adam and Christ? Now, if you remember, we looked at the first part of chapter 5 last week, and we saw the hope of our salvation. The hope is that through faith in Christ, We have peace with God. Grace is given. Hope is assured. Blessings are given to all of us. And all of that is secured and provided to us through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the question there is, well, how can that happen? How can just one man affect so many and give so many to so many people? How can that happen? What's the basis of our hopes? Well, here's Paul's answer. He's taking a snapshot, not just of one man like Abraham or the Jewish people. He actually zooms all the way back and he takes a snapshot of the entire human race. And here's what he's saying. He's saying all of humanity belongs to either one of the two groups. You either belong to the old humanity with Adam as the head or you belong to the new humanity with Christ as the head. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, first of all, let's look at Adam. Adam is the very first man. And so naturally, every human being who was ever born can trace their lineage all the way back to Adam. We're all his descendants, right? So just by default, to be a human being is to be of Adam. We're of Adam, right? The problem is that Adam sinned. See, it says there, Paul, Paul says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. You can think of it like this way. It's like Adam had a house, right? Unfortunately, Adam opened the door to his home for sin to come in. Now, sin, of course, brings along his best friend, Death. So, sin and death entered Adam's house. And they've stayed inside this house ever since that time, permanently. And no one has really any power to kick them out. So, ever since that time, sin and death has been making a whole mess of Adam's house, wrecking havoc, causing all kinds of destruction. And so, the result is Adam and his family, and all the way down to us and our generation, we have stayed inside a house that is overrun by sin and death. Now, that means on the one hand, that all sinned. Paul says, all sinned and therefore all die. That means all of us individually, we've all welcomed sin in this house. We've all entertained sin. We've all done our own personal individual sins. So all people sin, therefore all people die. But on the other hand, there's also a sense in which we're all connected to Adam's sin. We're all connected to the condemnation of Adam's sin. Now, wait a minute. Why am I connected to Adam's sin? Well, let's think of it this way. Every person is always connected to some other group of people, right? You're never just a standalone individual, all by yourself, all isolated. No, no, no. Every person is connected to other people. Take me for instance. Yes, I'm an individual named Jared, and I'm responsible for myself. I'm an individual person. But I also belong to my family. I belong to my church. I belong to my country, right? So it's not just me, myself, and I. I'm also a son, a husband, a father. I'm a CBCP pastor. I'm a Filipino citizen, right? So I'm all these other things. I, I'm connected to all these other things. There's no such thing as a totally unconnected person, standalone, individual, isolated, right? Everyone is connected to someone else. Now, suppose I did something reprehensible, something really terrible. What's gonna happen? Well, of course, I need to suffer the consequences of what I did. But it's, always, it's also going to affect my family and my church, right? Why? Because I'm connected to them. And therefore, my actions are going to bring down shame on them, right? But think about it. What I do doesn't affect the Philippines that much. Why? Because, you know, I'm just a citizen. I'm not the president of the Philippines. And so what I do has little bearing on my country. But in my family, I'm the representative head. And in my church, I'm of the pastors who represent CBCP. And therefore, my actions have a huge direct consequences on them. Now, what Paul is saying is that God chose the first man, Adam, to be the representative head of the human race. And unfortunately, his sinful actions have had a huge direct consequences on all of us. It's brought us condemnation. Now, this sounds strange to us who grew up in a culture heavily influenced by individualism, right? But this is not a new idea to the scriptures. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, you look at Achan and how his sin brought judgment on Israel. You look at the kings of Israel and how their actions brought blessing or judgment on all of Israel. And the fact is, God has always dealt with humanity through a representative and head. And if you zoom all the way back and you look at the entire human race, the representative God has appointed for us is the first man, Adam. And the problem is, Adam sinned. He let sin and death enter our house, and it has wreaked havoc and condemnation on all of us." Now, wait a minute. Some of you may be asking, how is that fair to us? Well, Christians across church history have struggled with how this can be. And if you just look out there, there are many theological and philosophical attempts to address this problem. But let me just be honest and say it outright that I don't know any answer that ultimately removes the problem here. At the end of the day, this challenges our reason and our individualistic sensibilities, so I don't know. But here's what we do know. This principle of headship, that one head can affect the many under him, this principle, we may not like it, but, It's the basis for our hope in God. Because say you are totally unconnected. Say this principle does not exist, right? Say you are totally isolated. You're not connected to Adam or anyone else. You're only responsible for yourself and no one else. If that is so, then guess what? That also means You're the only one responsible to save yourself from your sins. You can't rely on anyone else. It's entirely up to you. You're isolated in your sins. You're unconnected from anyone else. But the gospel says, just as you are connected to Adam, so also you can be connected to Jesus Christ. Just as you did nothing, you were simply born into this world and you were born into Adam and his condemnation. So also you did nothing, but you're just born again into Jesus Christ and he brings you justification and grace and in life. See, the gospel says, you're not alone. You're not unconnected. You're not isolated by yourself. Christ, comes to connect with you and your sins so that you can connect to him and his righteous obedience. And the gospel is that through faith in Christ, God immediately transfers you out of Adam's headship and into Christ. And because Christ is now your representative head, what he does has a huge direct consequences on all of us. That is, We receive the blessings of what he did. We receive the blessings of his righteous obedience. We get it all because Christ is now our new head. That's the gospel, nothing less than that. And that's the basis of our hope in Jesus Christ. And see, this is the great basis of our hope and that is why ultimately it changes our lives because what we get in Christ is we get the supremacy of who he is as our new head. See, like I said, Paul is like an experienced photographer here and he's bringing out the contrast between Adam and Christ. Now, both of them are representative heads, but That's where the similarities end. Because Adam is nothing like the headship of Jesus Christ. Christ is far, far supreme and superior. And what he does overwhelms the sin and condemnation of Adam. You see, twice here, you'll notice, twice here, Paul says, if Adam, how much more Christ? If Adam did this, if Adam, the man, did this, and it brought us this much damage. Can you just imagine what? How much more? Paul says, how much more the Son of God as your new head, can you imagine how much more he will do for you? Can you imagine how much more the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the giver of life, how much more he as your representative head, how much more do you receive through Paul says, the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflows to the many. It overflows. It's not just grace little. It's not just grace big. It's a grace overflowing. See, for one thing, Paul says, look at the judgment that Adam brought to us. It says their judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Now, just think of it. One sin always brings one judgment, right? That's perfectly fair. I mean, if you look, even in our civil justice system, every breaking of the law has a corresponding penalty, right? So even flawed human human beings like ourselves, we understand that every sin deserves every judgment, one single judgment, right? That's perfectly fair. One is to one. So God's judgment is perfectly fair. And yet, what's the gift? The gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now, here's what it means. Think about it. If you just look at your life and you look at it with total honesty, total self-awareness, you look at all your blind spots, and you just try to count the number of your sins, all the deceptions, all the arrogance, all the greed, all the, all, the, all the lust, all your sins. You, you can't even try to count all of them. It's just innumerable. It's too many to count. And we know deep down that each and every one of those sins deserve judgment. It's judgment, 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 judgment. That is perfectly fair. But when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just die for one or two or three sins. He takes all the countless rebellions and transgressions that you've done against God. He takes all of them. He connects himself to all of them. And he takes it so that you can connect to his righteousness. So that now there's no condemnation for those who are under the headship of Christ. There's no more condemnation. There's only the hope of glory. See, for God to answer every sin with judgment, that is perfectly fair. But for God to answer all the countless sins across all ages, and to to answer that with the gift that brings justification, that is the miracle of miracles. That's not just grace. That is the abundant provision of grace. It's it's an overwhelming grace that's given to us. And so no matter how much sin and condemnation Adam brought upon us, no matter how much sin you have personally done, no matter how big the mountain of that sin is, all those mountains sink under the deep, vast ocean of God's grace for you. It all sinks. It all disappears. There's no more sin to be found under the grace of Jesus Christ. And therefore, here's what I want you to see. If you're sitting there and you still can't see how God can forgive your terrible sins, you don't know how God can forgive how horrible you've ever done, then I want you to realize you're still thinking too little of God's grace for you. If you're sitting there and you can't seem to forgive yourself, if you're still being unbearably hard on yourself, if you're still living under this great shame, then you're still thinking too little of God's grace for you because God's not offering you a cup of water. He's giving you the whole ocean. No sin is a match for His grace. No guilt is too strong for Him to forgive. No shame is too permanent for him to remove. No condemnation remains when Jesus says, that child is mine. Welcome him to my glory. See, if Adam Adam brought condemnation, how much more does Christ pour out the ocean of grace upon you? You're justified. There's no more condemnation. No more shame. You're under Christ. And another thing that Paul tells us is look at the death that Adam brings us. It says death reigned through that one man, Adam. Death is said to say is said to be like a king that reigns over humanity. Now, when you think of a king, Maybe you're thinking of a constitutional monarch, like the Queen of England today. Well, kings in Paul's time were very different. Kings back then had almost total control. They had absolute power, and nobody in their kingdom could really oppose them. That's the kind of reign death has over us. It's a tyrant, and no one can really stop it. No one can really stop death from coming to take away our parents, our spouses, our children, our loved ones. No one can stop death. We can't even stop death from taking ourselves. Death reigns. Dr. Don Carson, he shares this story one time. He says he goes to this nursing home for the elderly to visit and take care of the elderly there. And there's this one particular old man there that he visits. This old man is now 89 years old when he told this story. And he's virtually bedridden, he uh, he can't really walk, he has all kinds of problems in his spine and in his health. And one time this old man was trying to chew something when his dentures broke into four pieces and he swallowed it. And he almost died before they got it out. Can you imagine going through that? You know, this old man, He's written over 40 different books for Christians. He's a great Christian leader of the 20th century. He's a very influential, very respected Christian leader whose counsel has provided amazing counsel for for the church for decades. But here he is. Because you know what? There's nothing dignified about death. Nothing. 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 It's painful to see someone you love and respect go through that process. It's painful to anticipate your own experience one day. It's painful when you're right in the middle of it. And yet there's nothing we can do to stop it because death reigns. And we don't have the power to stop death. In this house, none. Because if Adam sinned, brought death, and yet, how much more do we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says, I give you life now, life to the full, life abundant and free in the Spirit, life eternal, life at its best restored with a better body, in a better earth, in a better heavens. Life where there's no more condemnation, no more guilt, no more shame, no more death. Life where there is only peace and glory and joy overflowing. If you try to read the last two chapters of Revelations, you'll see what it means to reign in life. Jesus comes to dethrone death from its kingship. And Jesus sits on the throne and he shares that throne with us so that we reign in life. See, this is the kind of hope that we Christians have. And it should totally revolutionize the way we live life, the way our perspective with life is. Because the grace that Christ brings us is so far greater than whatever damage Adam's sin brought. Because God did not send us a new representative to be just another man. No, God sends us his very son. And so we now have a new head who is the Lord of glory, who is the giver of life, who is the sustainer of the universe, who is the Lamb of heaven. This is our new head. And therefore, the hope we have, the grace we receive is far, far greater than sin and death could ever do against us. This is our hope. And therefore, let's try our best to be the people of God. What does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to no longer be under Adam, but to be under Jesus Christ, a new head? Paul says this, he says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people now you have to understand paul's not saying that all people regardless of their faith in christ all people are going to get saved no 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 that's not what paul is saying paul's not saying that all people universalism everyone's gonna save that's not what paul is saying So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that just as all people under Adam end up in condemnation in death, so also all people under Christ, no matter what background you may be, no matter what sins you've done, no matter what kind of, 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 of lifestyle you had, all people in Christ get justification in life there's no qualifications no exceptions no rejections all people who go to christ through faith all people get justification all people get life all people get the grace that's greater than sin you know the great preacher dr martin lloyd jones he shares this thing that he does he says when he meets with people one-on-one pastorally he asks this diagnostic question. He asks this person, are you a Christian? And he says, the answers he got was very enlightening. And one of the common answers that he got from people was, people would say, well, I- I'm trying to be a Christian. Uh, well, I-, I hope so, I'm trying- I hope I'm a Christian. And when Martin Lloyd-Jones heard that, he would say, well, I'm not sure you understand what a Christian Why? Well, it's because when people say, I'm trying to be a Christian, what they seem to be saying is, I'm still trying to earn my place as a Christian. I'm still trying to be qualified to be a Christian. I'm still trying to get myself together so that I get the blessings. But that's a misunderstanding. Not if you understand the grace of God, because you're still thinking too little of God's grace for you. You come under the headship of Christ not because you're qualified or you earn or you work your way or you apply for this. No, no, no. You come under it by faith through what? Through the obedience of the one man. It's through his obedience, not your obedience, not my obedience, not kind of any kind of earning for this. It's through the obedience of the one man and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so you're saved because of what he did, not, not, not anything about what you do. The minute, the moment you put your faith in Christ, God immediately transfers you out of Adam and into Jesus Christ. And you get the justification, you get the grace, you get the glory, you get the blessings. All people under him get the grace that God gives. See, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in another place, he talks about this uh, illustration. He, he, he preached on this passage, and he uses this illustration. He says, you can think of uh, Christian life as a typical Christ- uh, typical English countryside, wide open green fields, right? And he says, you can picture the believer as, as uh, starting out in, in two fields, two green fields, separated by a high stone wall. So the believer starts out his life in this field, in this field where Satan roams and death reigns and sin is the master, right? But, but by God's grace, he comes and reaches out and transfers you into a new field where Christ reigns, where there's no more death, where there is life and blessings. So you're in a totally new relationship in this that's what happens the moment you put your faith god reaches out and he puts you into the new field no exceptions no rejections no more applications instantly god saves you through your faith in christ it's all justification in life for all people under christ right ah but here's the key point of the illustration of dr lloyd jones he says even though we're in this new field we can still hear the voices of Satan and sin and death calling out to us, telling us things, telling us, commanding us things, trying to reshape the way we think. And see, even though we're in this new field of Christ, there's still that opportunity for Christians to listen to the old voices, to follow the old patterns that we used to live in. And therefore, to extend the illustration a bit further, the key for believers, for the people of Christ, is to keep walking further and further away from the dividing wall, so that the old voices grow fainter and fainter over time. And instead you walk inward and deeper into the field, in, closer and closer to the voice of Christ. Now what that means is, you have to keep reading your Bible. You listen to the voice of Christ, no matter how busy you get. You keep making prayer a priority. No matter how busy you get, you listen to the voice of Christ. You make worship a priority in your life. It's a non-negotiable. You make praise a priority habit for your life. You keep meeting with other believers, a priority in your life. No matter how busy you get, no matter how tired you get, you make that a priority. You listen to the voice of Christ. So even though you're in this new field, You have to keep walking further in and further away from the old voices, right? Because you're no longer under Adam. You're no longer under sin, under death, under Satan. You're no longer there. You're in this new field because Christ has plucked you out and he's made you his. And he is your representative head. And you're living under grace. You're living under his grace now. Where condemnation is no more and you have the hope of glory. Where death no longer reigns, it's neutralized. You reign in life with Christ. Therefore, people of God, even as we live in the field of Christ under his realm, let us do our best to make every effort to walk away and no longer heed the old voices of Adam and his house. Instead, let us walk deeper inward to the voice of Christ and heed the voice of our new head, Jesus Christ. For we now live in a grace that's greater than our sins. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us isolated in the house of Adam, in the house of condemnation, in the house of sin, where we welcomed sin, where we committed our own sins, where we courted death onto our own lives. Lord, you did not leave us there, but you offered a way and through faith, you connected us to a new head of Jesus Christ in whose glory and righteousness and obedience overshadows all all our sins. Father, in that gospel, we place our hopes. Lord, teach us to live according to that grace, to to not let guilt or condemnation or shame dominate the way we live, but to let your grace define our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors. And Father, help us to live in a way that reflects this reality that we are no longer slaves of sin, but we are slaves of Christ. We are your servants. We are your people. And we gladly wish to obey you, to honor you, Father. Teach us how to do this. Help us to do this. Strengthen our hands. Teach our minds. Renew our spirits, Father, because we hope and desire to honor you, the giver of grace. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you press this down deeper into our hearts throughout the week and may we live it out in your glory. All these things we pray in the name of our new head, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship. I pray that the gospel becomes clearer and clearer and more apparent and visible in your life. God bless you.